Praise the Lord. You ready to have church? Well, you missed it because we already started having church. Well, this is uh, the week that we start with Palm Sunday. We want to welcome all of you who are watching online and know that we love you and appreciate you. We have a host that will put different things up there for you. So be uh, encouraged. I believe that today God has given me a word. And uh, every so often, you get this feeling from the Holy Spirit that God wants to speak to the house. And I believe that there's a miracle in this house. Amen? There's a miracle in the house. I want to read Isaiah 53, 5. Because it says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that was brought, brought us peace upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. Now, I want, to, I want to talk to you on the olive grove called Gethsemane. Now, that word Gethsemane means suffering. A place of suffering. A place of mental anguish and suffering. But I want to draw your attention, if you have your Bibles, to Mark 14, verse, starting with verse 32, or your iPhone, or your flip phone. Don't use your flip phone because you ain't going to find it. All right? So Mark 14, it says, And they went to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And Jesus said, Sit here while I go and pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. And he told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went a little further and fell to the ground. And he prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned and found the disciples sleeping. And he said, Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that we will not give in the temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them again and prayed the same prayer as before. And when he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. And they didn't know what to say. When he returned to them the third time, he said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But no, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayers are here. Now, when you look at this story and you realize that they're in that garden of suffering, the garden of pain, the garden of mental anguish, here is Jesus knowing that the beginning as it were, of the end is coming. He knows the cross is before him. He is with his disciples. And now this story begins to unfold as we come from this week to next week to the Easter Sunday. And there are three lessons 
from this story that I want to share with you. The first one is this. Be assured you're never alone in your struggles. Be assured that you're never alone in your struggle. Jesus was alone in his agony. In verse 33, it says, And he began to be filled with horror and deep stress. In verse 34, it says, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Now, sometimes it's difficult for believers to understand this. How can the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, how can the man that has done so much now be suffering with grief, with anguish, where he's at the point of death? Peter and James and John were seeing a side of Jesus that they had never seen before. Never. Previously to this, the disciples had seen Jesus meet every event, every challenge with confidence. They had seen him approach every problem with power. They realized here's the man that when he started his ministry, he found me fishing and he told me to drop my net to come and follow him and to become a fisher of man. He found Mark and Luke and James and John and every one of those men, he drafted them, he brought them in and for three years, he poured his life into theirs. For three years, he ministered to them. For three years, he had to correct them sometimes. For three years, they saw miracles after miracles after miracles. Just the, the unbelievable happened in front of their eyes. When Jesus was teaching on the side of the mountain and there was this large multitude of people and the hour was getting late and Jesus realized that they had not eaten and he talked to his disciples and they began to devise a plan of what they were going to do. They came up short. They pulled out their calculator and started figuring out numbers. It's impossible. There's not enough food available. The stores are closing and the ones that are open don't have much. We can't feed these people. They were in total panic, but the Lord Jesus Christ was in panicking. He was the Christ of miracles. He took a boy's little basket of lunch with fish and bread that he had just bought at Captain D's. And the Bible says that he blessed it. The people sat, and you know the story, he fed. Now the Bible says that he fed 5,000 people, but when you consider the men, the women, the boys, and the girls, it is estimated that that was a crowd of over 15,000 people that he fed. That's a pretty cool miracle, isn't it? But they saw him do that. And I can only imagine as a disciple of Christ in a moment like that, that something would grip your heart and something would grip your mind and something would spur your faith to be challenged to say, he is, he really is the son of the living God. He is the Messiah come to bring salvation to us. When they were on a boat in the middle of a mighty storm, 
and the winds were blowing and the waves were coming over and they began to panic and they began to get stressed out and they began to freak out because they thought they were going to die. Jesus stood and spoke to the winds and the waves and calmed everything. He wasn't afraid. And they had to wonder, what kind of man is this that has power over nature? Now you stop and think, how wonderful would it be for you and I to be able to spend three years with a man like Jesus that would do those miracles, a man that would speak to people and things would happen, a man that had power over nature, power over sickness, power over disease. One day he had heard they were traveling in another part of the country and the news came to Jesus that Lazarus, his friend, his best friend, he was friends to Lazarus and his sisters often came to their house to eat. And the word comes that Lazarus is dead. And immediately you would think in the natural that when you get the news that a friend or a family member has passed away, that you would immediately get on the phone and call or you immediately would go to show some support and some concern and to let them know that you stand with them and, and people rally and, and get food and things begin to happen. Jesus didn't do nothing like that. He said, don't worry about it. And at that moment, those disciples must have wondered, this guy must be cold-hearted. His best friend has just died. And Jesus tells them he's asleep. He's falling asleep. And then they realize that what he really meant was that he had died. But in their natural, they must have been extremely concerned for the fact that this man allowed Lazarus to die and did nothing about it. But when the time was right, the Bible tells us that Jesus says, now, now we're going to Lazarus' house. And the Bible tells us that he went and found him in grief. And he told one of his sisters that Lazarus would be raised and she understood it to mean that that would happen sometime later in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He said, no. And he went to the tomb and he prayed and he spoke to him and out of that tomb came Lazarus. God brought him back to life. The Bible tells us he was wrapped in, in cloth and he was already smelling And those disciples must have stood there in total wonder and said, oh my God, look at here, another miracle. This is unbelievable. We are with the right man. He's called us. He is the son of God. He's the God of power. Oh, what a blessing to be called and to walk with a man with such power, to see such miracles, to know that he's going to impart power to us to do wonderful things for his glory. 
And in each situation, they had responded with faith and power. And in each situation, they saw miracles take place. But now here they are with him in the place of mental anguish, in the place of pain, in the place of suffering, in that garden. And now what they see is a broken, distressed man, a man with anguish. Now they see a man with, with, with complete horror and deep distress. They heard him say, my soul is crushed with grief. Stop and think for a moment. They had never seen Jesus this way. This must have really stressed them out because they never, never had seen him this way. Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew that the scriptures, and he knew what, what, what the scriptures had said was going to happen. It wasn't like Jesus went into that garden unaware, and all of a sudden the father shocks him with the story. Hey, yeah, yeah, you got to get rid of him. You're going to die here soon. He preached that all of his ministry. He had been telling the disciples that this would happen. But they, deep in their heart, didn't completely understand the seriousness and the depth of what Jesus was really saying. They had heard him, but they had had hope against hope that somehow it wouldn't take place exactly that way. That somehow, just like all the other times when Lazarus came out of the grave, when he healed the blind man, when he healed the woman with the issue of blood, that somehow, right in the nick of time, a miracle would take place and that this wouldn't happen. And now when he enters the streets of Jerusalem, triumphantly on a donkey, and the people are cheering and throwing palms out. And the people are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They must have been excited to know, man, we're his boys. We're coming in behind him. Everybody loves him. Listen to me what happened. This happened right after the miracle with Lazarus. But it wasn't but another day or two later where they are now crying out, crucify him, crucify him, kill him. The same people that were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And I'm very sure that the disciples allowed themselves to forget, at least for the moment, the predictions that Jesus had made about his death. But now in that olive grove called Gethsemane, in the darkness of night, they saw Jesus experiencing horror, deep stress. They saw a man crushed, completely crushed with grief. But listen to this, church. Jesus, on the other hand, found himself alone. Listen carefully. Because I believe with all my heart that God is speaking to many of you this morning. 
And I know that it's easy for people to get up here to preach and say, oh, God told me that people. No, listen, I came here this morning because I got a message for some of you. Jesus felt alone. His disciples were with him, but he felt completely alone. Something in spite of all the sadness and the horror, he found himself alone and he asked his disciples to pray for him. But instead, you know what they did? They fell asleep. How many times in your life have you not gone through a dark valley of the shadow of death? How many times have you not gone through a problem, through a sickness, through a sin, through something in your life, through a disappointment? You've gone through anguish. Something tragic has taken place in your family and you have felt completely alone. And please do not read between the lines. This is what the Bible says. He was alone. He was alone in his agony. But let me tell you, let me tell you something good here. He was alone in his agony, but you're not alone in yours. You're not alone in your distress. You're not alone in whatever horror you're going through. You're not alone in the pain you're going through. You're not alone in the sin you've committed. You're not alone in the desertion that's taken place. You're not alone in your financial problems. You're not alone when your friend has deserted you. You're not alone when bad news has come your way. You're not alone. No, you're not. We received a call this week from a couple in our church. They called me and said, Pastor Ron, we need for you to pray. Our grandson who goes to Vanderbilt University in Nashville, who suffers from diabetes, they found him laying completely unconscious in the parking lot of, the, uh, of where he lived. And they rushed him to the hospital and there for a day or so, he was in a coma. But you know what? They were in anguish. They were in pain, but they weren't alone. They weren't alone. God was with them. God was there. Just after the morning service, he told me the story of what happened. He said somehow God and his wisdom managed to get him to leave his apartment, even though he didn't know what he was doing. And he took him out there. Had he, had he stayed in his apartment, he'd have been dead. But they found him out in the parking lot. God was with him. God took care of him. He wasn't alone. Yes, give Jesus a clap offering. And here's Jesus in that garden. Suffering. Completely suffering. And Jesus' followers abandon him. 
but he will never abandon you and I. And that's the message that God wants me to bring to many of you. Some of you have really allowed the devil to lie to you, to make you feel like God has not heard you, that God hasn't listened to you. Sometimes you feel like your prayers have gone up and hit the ceiling, come down, and it seems like heaven has become as brass and nobody's hearing you. And it seems like it's getting worse by the day. But let me tell you, I'm here to tell you on the authority of the word of God that God has heard you. God knows your pain. God knows your suffering. You're in your garden, but you're not alone. God's with you. God's going to set you free. The answer is coming, but God wants you to hang in there and don't put your trust on people because they will abandon you, but God won't. And he was in that garden that night so you won't have to face yours by yourself. You can face every day. You can face every challenge, every crisis, every temptation, every moment of grief with him beside you. Because he says, I'll never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. Jesus endured his suffering alone. But I praise God that we don't have to, none of us, none of us. I don't care how low and loud you've gotten. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what. Listen, I'm, an, I'm a living example of that. And God in my misery and in my darkest hour rescued me. And he's going to rescue you. And since he has suffered, he knows exactly what you're going through. Since he faced the temptation, he understands what it's like what you're going through. Hebrews 4.15 says this, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all of the same temptations we do and yet he sinned not. And when you face, when you face times of sorrow, when you're facing your own private Gethsemane, you can call on him and he will hear you. Listen to me, God will hear you. Don't allow the devil to lie to you and tell you that you're wasting your time praying because it seems the more you pray, the worse it gets. Sometimes that's the way it works out. But let me tell you, God is waiting on you to totally trust him and stay there until he sees you through. And I'm going to make a statement that I've made in this church for the last 37 years, probably more times than not. But the highway of Christian life, it's littered, listen to me, it's littered with believers that weren't willing to wait for God's answers. And just at the nick of time when a miracle was going to take place, they bailed out. And today, they are, they're just there, non-existent. There's no spirit in them anymore. Some of them have 
backed away from God and went back to the world because they blame God. Listen, don't you do that. You hang in there. You walk that walk. You walk the walk of faith. The Bible says, though you, if you're in the lily of, if you're in the, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you know what it says too? That he's the lily of the valley. He's there with you. He is there with you. Nothing is going to happen that God won't allow to happen. God will bring rescue to your life. God is there with you no matter what. What happens? He will bring you the answer in due season. God said to David in Psalm 50, 15, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and I will honor and, and you will honor me. Now listen to this. Here's number two. Be willing to go, be willing to go all the way through with your challenges. All the way, not halfway. There's where we make the mistake. We want instant God, instant Christianity, instant miracles, instant healing, instant answers. I want answers now. And you know why I can say that? Because I've done the same thing myself. I've expected God to answer me now. I used to say, God, if you could only show me, if you could only give me a little picture of what's going to happen a year from now. When I first came to this church in 1984, I used to say, God, show me, show me the next five years. Give me a picture. And one day the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me, why do you want that? So you can decide whether you're going to follow him or not. Because what he has for you, you can't handle it right now. But five years from now, if you trust him, you will be able to handle what he has for you then. You got to understand that God is bringing, allowing you to go through a test for a reason. And I think somebody said in this pulpit here in the last couple of weeks, if there's no testing, there's no trusting. The testing come for a reason. Because sometimes the only way out is to go all the way through. Verse 37 and 36 says, and when he went a little further, he fell to the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him may pass him by. This is what he says, Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. He said, God, if there's any way, if there's any way that I don't have to drink of this cup, do it. But if you decide that I'm to do it, I will do it. You know, there's nothing wrong in you saying, I've told God many times, okay, God, look, I don't like this. I know you're a God of miracles. You got more ways than the highway. But I've had to come to the conclusion through the years of maturity, but God, your way is better than my way. And whatever you decide, you're going to give me the strength to handle it. 
You're going to give me the power to overcome. You're going to be a house. Because church, let me tell you, there's a miracle in the house. There's a miracle in the house. And when he returned to Peter, James, and John, you know what they were doing? They were singing. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. No, they were asleep. I'm suckers that fell asleep. They were asleep. And when he awoke, he asked them, in verse 37, couldn't you stay awake and watch with me for one hour? Was it too much for you? Knowing what I'm going through, knowing that I told you for the last three years that this is going to happen, seeing the agony and the pain, and you guys fall asleep. Listen, church, and I know this is my, my next statement can be taken apart. But not everybody that tells you they're going to pray for you will pray for you. You know, it's a cliche. Oh, I will pray for you. I will pray for you. And a lot of well-meaning people will tell you that, but they forget. But you have people that will pray for you. You have those that will stand with you. You have those that will call your name and out to God and say, God, you know the situation there. You do whatever it takes, whatever it takes. Couldn't you stay awake and watch me for one hour? The book of Matthew, he puts it this way in Matthew 26. Again, he left them and prayed. My father, if this cup cannot go away until I drink it all, your will be done. And he returned to them again and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. Luke, in the Gospel of Luke 22, he puts it this way. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. For he was in such agony of spirit that he broke into sweat of blood with great drops falling to the ground as he prayed more and more earnestly. At last he stood up again and returned to the disciples only to find them doing what? Asleep exhausted. He was exhausted with grief. Now watch, catch the beginning and the end of that scripture. Because this is what happens. When the world fails you, when members of your family fail you, when Christians fail you, when your job fails you, when everything seems to fail you, and you're in grief and in sorrow, Listen to what happened to Jesus. Then the angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. Listen, God will send the angels of heaven to, to strengthen you. God would send the angels because he says that the angels of the Lord encamp around those who fear him. He is not ever going to leave you, nor is he going to forsake you. He will send the strength of the Holy Ghost to come to comfort you because he sends us a comforter and he walks with me and he talks with me and he lets me know that I am his own. He has filled us with the Spirit of God. This is a church. We are people of the Spirit. We believe in the power of the Holy Ghost. We believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We believe that it works today. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the Spirit of God will come and empower you when everybody else wants to give up on you.
The book of Mark puts it this way in Mark 14. And when he returned to them the third time, he said, still, <laughs> he said, still sleeping? Still resting? He said, enough. The time has come when I, the son of man, am betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, he says, let's be going. See my betrayers here. The cup. The cup. That cup that the Bible talks about, that he had a drink of that cup. That cup refers to both physical suffering that he must endure. It refers to the whippings. It refers to the crown of thorns, to the death on the cross. It is said, it is said by historians, if you read Josephus' book, if you read other stuff that they, about how, what they did, they, would, they tied him over a pole like that before he went to the cross and they beat him. They beat him. They took him through trials at night. A rigged up system. A government that was rigged up. That was against everything that Jesus stood for. They were out to destroy and vanish Christianity. And they did everything in their power to do it. But blessed be the name of the Lord. Here we are in 2021 and Jesus still reigns. And the word of God is still real. And we're still alive. Why? Because you can do whatever you can. You can kill people. You can hang them. You can shoot them. You can burn them. But the gospel of Jesus Christ will stand forever because he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And now I'm going to get political. Church, listen to me. We are living in a cruel time in this country. The haters of Christianity are surfacing and they don't care to say it. They're coming after the churches of Jesus Christ. You better train your children at home. They spend more time in your house than they do in this house. It is your responsibility to feed your children the word of God. It isn't our children's church or our children's pastor. It is you. You need to train and feed your children. Not Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck. However, I love those, those cartoons. And better yet, Three Stooges is even better. But, I don't, but, but the deal is this. Let me tell you. In spite of that, you better quit putting those little things in front of their face to watch. You better start teaching them the word of God because we're coming under attack. They're coming after the church. They hate us, despise us. They despise the truth of God's word because the truth of God's word will not be compromised with what they're trying to tell us. We're not living in 52 different agendas. There's only male and female. God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. And that's all there is to it. And if there, if there is ever a time in our life that we have got to pray and we have got to stand together and you got to get into a small group and you got to get involved in serving and we got to get out to the streets of people and we have got to come and pray together. It's now, it's now because they are, we are coming under attack, but Jesus has given us the power because greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. And we have been filled with the Spirit of God, and we can overcome the world. Yes. 
So that cup refers to the spiritual suffering he was about to endure. Not only did he go through the horrible physical pain at the hands of Pilate and at the hands of the Roman soldiers, but he also bore the weight of the sins of the entire world upon his body. He literally experienced complete separation from God. Abandoned was the word used. When he hung on that cross, he was abandoned by his father. His father couldn't look on him. Why? Because when he be would, God hates sin. He carried the sins of the world. And for a moment, his father had to abandon him until he died. But let me tell you what. His last words was, it is finished. It is finished. The battle is over. I've won over the powers of darkness. His death paid the punishment for our sins. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the orphan of our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ Jesus. That little place of agony, that little garden of Gethsemane, Jesus met the dreadful silence of heaven. There was no reassuring voice from heaven. He didn't hear the angels tell him something or God speak to him. There was no dove ascending upon him like it did when he was at the river being baptized. This is my son and who I am well pleased in. God had already spoken to his son that he must obey and go to the cross. And in that dreadful silence is the answer that Jesus seeks. The only thing out is to go through. That was the answer. You go through all the way. You don't back out. We don't quit. We have a God that finishes. Listen, the devil is a liar. The devil is a liar. He is a lion with no teeth. Listen to me. The devil got all his teeth plucked out of him on Calvary. He, he, he'll growl and he'll ho holler to scare you. But every time he attacks you, you turn around and rebuke him in the name of Jesus. And you tell him, devil, there's the cross. You see the cross? That's where you were defeated. And I am washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. I didn't say in the blood of the Baptists, the Methodists, the Pentecostals, the Presbyterians, Pastor Jason, Pastor Ron, we didn't die for you. Jesus died for you. And there's the times that you and I are going to have to drink of the cup of sorrow ourselves. There'll be times when the only way out is to go through. And it reminds me of the hymn that our wonderful praise Family did a little while ago. It is well with my soul. This hymn was written after two major traumatic things that happened to Horatio Sparford. This is a wealthy, wealthy, wealthy man in Chicago. And when the big Chicago, the famous big Chicago fire, he lost everything he had. He went from being a wealthy man to having nothing. In the meantime, his wife and four daughters got on a ship to go to Europe. 
on the way across the ocean, that ship had a wreck with another ship and the ship went down. And four, his four daughters died. He receives a now famous telegram from his wife with only two words on it, saved alone, saved alone. Now, I don't know how that grabs you, but I've often thought, what would I do? Those of you, those of, those of, those of us here who have children, what would you do if you got a call to be told that your children died in an accident? I have a friend, Morris Sheets, who pastored a big church in Texas. He said in his church, he had one of his leaders who was a big, big, tall Texan rancher who always sat up front church of 5,000 people. Him and his wife and four daughters would always come in and sit. He said, that guy was so tall when he raised his hands to worship, you'd think he was going to scrape the ceiling. It was a custom for that family, the mom to take the daughters and during Christmas go to some big city and spend two or three days in a hotel and they shop and have a blast. The day they were supposed to come home, Sheriff shows up at his door and tells him, I got bad news for you, brother. Your wife and your daughters have been in a wreck and they all were killed. After that funeral service and all went down, when the next Sunday rolled around for church service, they were always the ones that sat in the front and the pastor wondered, if he would come to church and they started to sing in the first worship song and all of a sudden down the aisle, here comes that big old Texan with his hat in his hand. He takes his rifle seat and he raises his hands and he started to worship God. You ask me how, how do you do that? You know why? Because that man had faith in God regardless. Regardless, he knew that while he would suffer and grieve the loss of his wife and girls, he knew the hope of glory. He knew that one day he would see him again, that Jesus died on the cross for you and I to have hope. He knew that. And several weeks later, it says that Horatio took a ship, crossed the ocean to go pick up his wife. And when, when they got halfway through the ocean, the captain of the ship told him, your, your daughters died somewhere. This is somewhere in the area where that wreck took place. And it was right then and then that the Holy Spirit inspired him. And, and touched his heart. And he wrote this song that speaks of the internal hope that all believers have. That no matter what pain and what grief comes. And he writes this. When peace like a river attaineth my way. When sorrow like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say. It is well. 
it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ had regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. The Lord, he said, and Lord haste the day when faith shall be sighed. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trumpet shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Regardless of where you're at, Go through the system. Don't back out. Don't quit. Go through it. God will stay with you. God will take you through that situation. And when I meditate upon Christ's experience in the Garden of Gethsemane, and I consider the challenge that this man had to bear and what he had to face, I wonder how, how in the world could he do it? Where would I find the strength and the obedience for such calling? And that brings me to number three. Be prayerful in time of temptation. Be prayerful in times of temptation. Because prayer gives you the power to overcome temptation. Jesus told Peter and James and John in verse 38, Keep alert and pray, otherwise temptation will overpower you. For though the spirit is willing enough, the body is weak. And Jesus was talking about more than just our physical bodies. He is referring also to our sinful nature. Be watchful, be careful, because he's out as a roaring lion. He's out to take you down at any price, at any cost. It doesn't matter who you are. And the key to what he's saying here is that the lack of prayer makes us vulnerable to temptation. And the opposite of that is that the abundance of prayer gives us power to overcome. And Jesus told his disciples to pray so that they will have the power over temptation, so that they will have strength over their weaknesses. And this is exactly what he did. He entered the garden that night filled with horror, filled with deep distress. His soul was crushed with grief. He found the power of God to obey, the power to overcome temptation through prayer. He prayed until the power came for him to willfully go to the cross. And God predicted what Christ would do to Satan, destroy him. And that prediction didn't come in the New Testament. You go all the way to Genesis chapter 3, 15. God predicted what happened thousands of years later where it says, and he's he talking of Jesus, when he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. I'm here to tell you, church, this morning, the devil is a liar. He's defeated. He is defeated on the cross of Calvary. He got defeated. He got wiped out. He got done in. And you and I are more than conquerors through him who saved us because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We're the children of the king. We're king's kids. We've been empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit. Resurrection power lives within inside of you and inside of me. Listen, we can overcome, but we have to stay on our knees. We got to pray, pray. 
because it's in our praying that the victory comes. Satan knows that. And if he can rob us of praying and saying in the word, he will do it. And Satan's head has indeed been crushed. He has he is defeated because of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you, are you struggling with temptation? There's only one simple answer. Pray. Pray. Oh, you can get counseling and get help. Pray. A counselor can't do for you what prayer can. And hopefully in several weeks from now, I, I, I'm going to do at least two, two studies on prayer. Because the Bible says that when you can pray, the Spirit of the Lord with groanings, he prays for you. You know why he prays for you? Because you may not know what to pray, but he knows to pray what you need to the Father. And when the Holy Spirit prays for you, God listens and God answers. You see, are you struggling with courage to do God's will? Pray. Pray. Oh, you can call others to pray for you and send requests to ministries around the country. But you know how, how, how quick it is for us to want everybody else to pray for us? Well, you know what? Pray for yourself. Commit yourself to prayer. We need to have intercessory prayer warriors in this church. Listen, because of COVID, we had a prayer group that met on Sundays in between services, and we had that had kind of fade away because many people couldn't come, but we're going to start that up again. And in a couple of weeks, you're going to receive a letter. Those of you on that prayer team, and we're going to start praying. And if you're not on the team and you want to join, we're going to invite you to a meeting and we're going to pray. We're going to start praying. We're going to pray after every service up there. We're going to have a television so you can see the service. And we're going to pray that while whoever's up here singing, whoever's up there preaching, even the brother that does the announcement is going to be anointed with the Holy Ghost and the Spirit of God is going to move and souls are going to come to Jesus. Pray. You struggling? Pray. You want to see Jesus transform your life? Pray. Are you facing challenges that are bigger than you, burdens that are more than you can bear? Pray. Do what Jesus did. Enter your garden of Gethsemane. The garden of pain, of suffering, and stay there and say, I'm not letting go. I'm not letting go like that lady with the issue of blood. I'm gonna touch him. This is the day of my miracle. I'm not letting go. And be assured you won't be alone. Listen to me, you won't be alone. He'll be right there with you to pour out his spirit upon your soul. I want us to bow our heads. I don't want nobody moving about unless you got to take a place of service. Because I believe with all my heart. Because all week, this thing has been burning in my heart. If I've got to be transparent with you, I stand up here with a broken heart into millions of pieces. 
But you know what? My God is good. My God has the answers. My God will never leave us nor forsake us. And I knew that God wanted you to hear this message because there's some of you that you're going through a dark time in your life. It could be your marriage. It could be physical. You got a bad report. It could be your children that has gone astray. It could be you're struggling with some, some issue. It could be a job situation. I don't care what it is. I don't care how little and minute you think it is. God wants you to know that there's a miracle in the house for you. There's a miracle in the house for you. But you got to be willing to act in faith. And I'm going to do something a little different this morning. If you need a miracle, if you need a miracle in your life, I don't care if you're 12 years old or 90 years old. If you need a miracle in your life and you believe that he is a miracle worker, and if you believe in the work of the cross of Jesus Christ, and you believe that he rose from the dead and that he suffered in that garden, and, you, and if you are there, you're not alone, and you want God to give you a miracle, I want you to stand. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. I just want you to stand in faith right now. Come on. Don't let pride get in your way. I want you to stand and say, God, I need a miracle in my life. I need a miracle in my life right now. I need you to touch me. I need a miracle. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. I'm going to have my miracle. And the devil, you're a liar. I want you to raise your hand if you can. If you said, oh, Pastor, I'll never raise my hand. Until, well, raise your hand anyway. Don't worry about it. Let's raise our hands and let's praise God and claim that victory. Come on. My miracle is here. Claim it. Said, devil, you're a liar. I am going to have a miracle in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. There's going to be a miracle in my life. And Satan, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. You have no authority over God's children. I pray in the name of Jesus that a miracle will take place in your life, that you will sustain, that you will go through it, and that miracle is going to come in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, it will be done according to your word. I want all of us to stand. And let's just bow our heads for a second. Maybe you're here this morning and you have never given your life to Jesus. You may say, you know, Pastor Ron, I come to church, but I believe in the Bible. I believe Jesus did die on the cross. and I'm not against Christianity. But maybe for whatever reason, you have yet to say, Lord, come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. Maybe it's because you got a lot of stuff in your life that you're embarrassed about. Maybe it's because right now you may be dealing with an addiction. Maybe you're in the middle of a battle in your home. Maybe you're afraid that if you come to Jesus, you won't make it. Or maybe like me, you were raised in the legalistic church that did a number on you and there's hurt there. For whatever reason, he loves you.
and He wants you to surrender to Him and He'll help you. He'll help you. And if you fall off the wagon, He'll get you back on it again. He won't desert you or leave you. He doesn't give you salvation and then snatch it off of you. And if this morning you want to give your heart to Jesus, all I want you to do is raise your hand quickly and put it up, put it down. Come on. God bless you, sir. God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else? Come on. Let me see your hands. God bless you up there. I want us to pray with me. Everybody pray together. Say, dear Jesus, I acknowledge that I am a sinner and that I need you, Lord. I ask that you forgive me of all of my sins, all of my transgressions, and that you take me into your family, and that you fill me with your spirit, and that you give me the power to walk this life out. And Father, I thank you that you will write my name in the Lamb's Book of Glory, stating that I am a child of God, that you will never leave me or forsake me. And one day I'm going to see you face to face. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a clap offering.